This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Mark. And we are going to talk about the reasons why a Christian might suffer. Um, And the reason is because it's one of the most common pastoral questions, at least I get, um, from people about the fact that they are suffering and they don't know why. Um, or they're struggling with how to think rightly in the midst of that. So um, we, we wanted to just kind of break that down. I think I have 10 different reasons that the scripture gives. But here's your basic scenario. A woman places her trust in Christ. Um, we have the joy of baptizing her. And the next thing you know, she's uh, experiencing incredible loss of peace in her home. Uh, she's finding friends are no longer wanting to be around her. Um, maybe there's now a need to change her employment. And with all of that, there comes so often just a lot of honest and very real questions. What? You're fine. This is Mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, 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 I'm trying to do this and I see this hand flick. I'm like, <laughs> am I doing something really bad No, you're here? fine. You're good. Well, can I say something really quick? No. Though? What's interesting? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. No, I thought I think it's interesting why it's such a struggle nowadays because it, in this psychologized evangelical church, the thought is that you come to Jesus and He's going to solve all your problems, oh, and yeah, He's, he's sure. essentially a genie. Yep. And you get that it's like a poisonous mindset. We've we've kind of it's infiltrated. It's in interesting because American church for sure. I don't can't speak to the rest, but no, you're absolutely right. And uh, Matt, in his last sermon, I think it was the last sermon, you know you were bringing out some very difficult passages about the reality of what Christ has come to do. And when you compare what we hear from the pulpit, you always hear the triumphal stories of yeah. marriages being healed and all the troubles going away, but Addictions the exact opposite. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. the exact opposite is actually talked about by Christ. Mm. Uh, I mean, that great lack of sympathy passage where they're like, you know, the Tower of Siloam and, and whatnot. And he doesn't just kind of say, hey, you know, all things are going to work together for good, guys. It's right, okay. Right. He's like, you know what? It's going to happen to you too unless you repent. You too will die. And, <laughs> and, and it, it's like, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> is that is that is it Matthew where he's like, he's like, I will divide, I come to divide. Yeah. And, um, and we actually, I think you reference that? It's, it's coming up it's just in just a few minutes. So you're yeah. jumping ahead, but that's okay. We, we still affirm you. No, are I, you a I, prophet? You got, it thought, yeah. am I, Do you have the gift of prophecy? Well, did that come oh, true? No. Um, well, or according to Grayson, yes. So there we go. <laughs> Anyhow. Oh, gosh. Um, so when, when we are traveling, uh, Matt and I do some traveling into other countries. Uh, we, we deal with this issue of suffering. We deal with it just as pastors. Um, and, and we find it's oftentimes a subject that's actually avoided or it's very poorly explained. So hopefully this might... Uh, be a, a, a bit of an antidote, right? Yeah. Um, for many people, suffering is something that they think should be avoided. And I'm not advocating that we go looking for right, suffering, right, right. Yeah. but it that something must be wrong if I'm suffering. And so when you listen yeah. to people's prayer requests, 
the most common prayer request is to be relieved of some form of suffering. That's always what they're asking for. Um, and so I've, I've learned over the years, uh, the most common question I ask people is, in the midst of this suffering, how are you planning on honoring God in the situation? And I usually just hear crickets uh, mm-hmm. because they're looking for me to give them counsel on how to get out of it or to fix it. And my question is, we may never fix this. Your marriage may never be healed. Your children may never repent. Um, your sickness may never be healed, but you're still called to honor God. So once you get your mind oriented a different way, some really neat things can happen. And then I'll follow it up with the second question is, um, what are you learning about yourself and God in this situation? And I remember a woman that uh, was diagnosed with cancer and uh, after a few weeks of it, I saw her and I just asked her that question and she she was a bit taken aback and she handled it nicely, but you could tell she wasn't ready for it. And I re- really appreciated her because the very next week she came up to me. She says, you asked me that question. I wasn't ready, but it really made me think. And then she just gave a really, really wonderful answer a week later as she it forced her to begin to think about what this very serious illness is mm-hmm. revealing about her own soul. Um, and I was encouraged. So all that to say is we just wanted to give some basic reasons um, in quick order. We're not going to go super deep into them uh, as to some reasons or purposes behind suffering in a Christian's life. So you want to start out sure. the first one? Yeah, uh, first and foremost, um, suffering is something that was promised by Jesus himself. Yeah, so we should be shocked. Yeah, uh, so in John sixteen thirty three, he says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Um, so there he's already just talked, there's going to be tribulation. Um, Matthew 10, 35 through 37, Mark, the one that you referenced, yeah. he says, For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. That's a difficult one, of yeah. his household. It's not just people out there. It's not government. Yeah. It's not... Um, the culture at large, it's even within your own home. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, what's interesting about that one is the purpose statement. He says, I came to. Yeah, that's an infinitive of purpose. Yeah. I actually double check that. Yeah, so he's not like, this may or may not happen. It's, this is why I've come. I bring in a sword. So so let me just jump in, because we could just camp on this, I think, if we wanted to, when was the last time, aside from the fact that your last sermon, you referenced this very passage, but in your own listening to sermons, when was the last time you actually heard something like that, that Jesus oh. has come to do this? Yeah. Um, it, that's a shocking statement. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of preaching the full gospel too. Um, I don't think that people are preaching that this is just the, a reality of the Christian life, is that if, if you're going to follow Jesus, this is what's coming for you. Um, Instead, when it's just happy promises and mm. God's going to free you and save you from your own vexations, um, and then these kinds of things happen, but you're not ready for it. And you have a lot of defection from the faith because that part wasn't preached. Mm-hmm. And so they were giving half the gospel and half of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And and it's interesting because he doesn't even um, soften. He doesn't say that I've come to set some. He just, it's, it's kind of like, this is the standard. And, and, and for a person 
who is sees both husband and wife come to faith and then their children come to faith, mm-hmm. you know, that's the exception, mm-hmm. not the rule. Right. And 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 those are just incredible moments of grace. Yes. But I, I, I just think there'd be a lot healthier church in America if we would stop thinking that, well, you said it well, Mark, um, that psychological therapeutic kind of model mm-hmm. of the gospel that is just not what Christ did. But anyhow, go well, ahead. And the only other thing I'd say too is that on a lot of these passages where Jesus is talking this way, it's not just suffering in general, right? Uh, because you live in a fallen, broken world, and so affliction's going to happen Trials, to you. Yeah. Uh, over and over again, in, in literally dozens of passages, when Jesus himself is talking, he's saying that suffering is going to come for you. Um, I think the term's flipsis, oppression, persecution. Yep. Yep. Um, and then he always caveats it because of me yep. or because of my name yeah. or as a result of my gospel. And so it's it's for that reason that the suffering's coming. It's not yeah. just because you live in a world where suffering in some vague way exists. Uh, and so one who answers the call of, of the gospel would do well to heed these warnings as well. Yeah. Well, there's also a purpose built in that last verse um, because he says, if you love your mother or your father, your husband, your daughter, etc., more than me, then you're not worthy of me. Uh, in other words, um, this time of separation, this time of great suffering within your own household is something that actually helps reveal where your true love is. And again, um, I've been doing this a lot longer and you've already seen it in your time. And I've seen it just so often how people are, they come to a point where they have to make a choice of honoring Christ and following him as their Lord or keeping the wife happy or the husband happy. And how many times over and over and over again, the default is, you know what? I love my wife or I love my husband. And it's like, you're making some critical choices there. And he says, you're not worthy of me. Um, And I would say to anyone who's facing those, you need to slow down before you just start making a Mm -hmm. rash uh, decision. Uh, Well, so that's the first one. The second one uh, would be that God prepares us to enter into his presence through suffering. And so in Romans 8, 16 through 18, it says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children were heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And everyone wants to put a period there and say, see, isn't this great? But then Paul adds this if statement. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And as a result of that, he says, for I consider the sufferings of this present age or time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in this. Again, a great passage to camp on. But an, another passage similar to this is in Acts 14, 22, Paul says, through many tribulations, we must enter the, the kingdom of God. So the pathway into the kingdom of God, into eternity is, is through the process of many tribulations. So again, a good pastoral question that you could ask is, is this suffering you are enduring worth it yeah. if heaven is at the end of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, seriously. Or, or do you want out? Yeah. It's, it's, that, that, it's harsh, but it's, is it worth it? Will you endure? And I, I've had the pleasure of watching so many endure, um, and it's very humbling to watch them as with tears they enter into eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they enter into eternity yeah. with Christ, and that's, that makes it all worth it. Yeah. yeah, and in in Luke's writing, 
So where, where he says must, that's, that's day, I think, uh, the divine necessity. Um, so what's necessary to enter the kingdom of God? Not tribulations, but many tribulations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's just part and parcel of what it means to follow Christ. Um, a third one is that God uses suffering to humble people, uh, to humble us as Christians. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, we see this illustrated with Paul. Uh, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so uh, Paul, as we know, was given these great visions. He was caught up into the third heaven. Um, but what came with that was great suffering. Um, we don't know what that thorn was, but evidently it was bad enough for him to plead for release. Uh, Repeatedly. Might... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so this is a great passage to consider when you're seeing people make, you know, have these so-called ministries all built around grand vision. Everyone wants to be a Paul. Everybody wants to be yeah. an influencer. Nobody wants his suffering. Yeah. Um, so everyone wants to do great things for God, but this is what comes with it. And so in, in the West, at least, we like to celebrate victory and strength, but the Bible's the opposite. More often it celebrates weakness and, and dependence on God. Yeah. yeah people pass over that it's not that we are strong that god takes our weakness and changes it into strength it's right. we remain weak and his strength works through that weakness in the midst of weakness and and that's again one of these great mysteries of how god does that um but we want we keep thinking until he fixes this we can't do right x and paul would look at him and say no no in fact um you're you're essentially demanding from God that you must do things from a point of strength. And God keeps saying, yeah, we're, we don't do it that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. So very hard. Um, and I, I mean, that's Isaiah too, right? Uh, yeah. He sees this great vision of, of God in the throne room and who shall go for us? Whom shall I send? You know, here am I, send me. And he's like, all right, but no one's going to listen to you. And here's <laughs> going to be the persecutions and the sufferings that happen yes. to you. And um, so I, I do hear people say, man, I want, to, I want to be used by God a lot. I want to be used by God in big ways. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not going to lie. I pray and want that too. But at the same time, is it, am I willing to accept the suffering that necessarily has yes. to come with that? Yeah. Yes. You know. And then uh, number four, um, God will use suffering to bring out his strength in the midst of our weakness. So it's just building off of that. Again, he, or I, did I just... They're very similar. Yeah, yeah. But they're very different. similar, but it's the same passage. Um, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And there, then he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. So now yeah. he's literally exalting and exulting in his weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, uh, a whole episode, some point, we ought to do a, a, a podcast just on the nature of shame and weakness and how God works through those things. Because we, we said already, but uh, we want to minister in great, great uh, strength, but God wants to minister in weakness. And 
what we do is that we end up confusing ourselves and others when, when we're weak and then we're healed because then we think that that's what this passage was speaking about. Well, see, I got healed. I'm strong now, but that's not the point. Paul isn't healed. He'll, there's no evidence that he was ever delivered from that thorn in the flesh to the point of him being beheaded, that, that thorn of suffering remained. Um, but in doing so, God's power shines forth because the person is so weak. So it's no longer Paul doing it, but it has to be God because he's a, Paul is just too weak. Yeah. And I apologize for the buzzing. The neighbor's AC kicked on. Oh, no. <laughs> we, we got fireworks going off. We got AC. You, we got Lena waving away mosquitoes. Yeah. I mean. I see one too many memes, though. It's literally just when I am weak, then I am strong. And I'm just like, please expound on that a little bit yeah. because there's too many eyes in that, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You, you can become a UFC champion by quoting that verse. But again, another passage for yeah. another day. Uh, so fifth one, uh, God uses suffering at times to discipline us, those who are his children. There's that famous passage in Hebrews chapter 12 um, where the writer states, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your own striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of, of righteousness. And there's verse 11. Um, but the, the first point here in the first four verses is worth noting. Um, the writer is not giving a whole lot of sympathy to his readers. No. Um, so, so he does tell them, and he acknowledges that they are suffering. Uh, as badly as they think they are, but in the same, you know, breath, he turns around and just says, but essentially get over yourselves. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You're not bleeding, are you? Is yeah. there bones sticking that's, out? That's what yeah. I, yeah, that's what I say to my grandson when he falls down and starts crying. Yeah. You're like, are you bleeding? No. It's like, then shut up. Yeah, but but what is clear from the passage is that our, our Heavenly Father disciplines His children, and the, the term father there is important because He disciplines us as a father, not just as some tyrant deity. Right. Um, but, but on the other hand, to not be disciplined then is to then not be loved by God. Yeah, you're, you're an illegitimate child. Yeah. Um, and this is actually a failure I had as a young pastor that still I remember. Um, There's a guy in our church who asked for counsel and he's like, you know, this Hebrews passage bothers me because I cannot think of a time in my life that I've ever been disciplined by God, ever. And I was way too quick to pass that by and assure him, no, no, no. You know, if you're being obedient, then obviously this is for disobedience. And if you've been obedient, then you're not going to suffer that discipline. And so I was quick to just kind of hmm. push it away and assure him. Um, that man is an apostate right now. Uh, he hmm. just walked away from it all. And I realized later... Um, when I found out they had apostatized, that I had failed him in the sense of warning him and, yeah. and examining his soul and, and clarifying what the gospel was. He actually diagnosed his issue better than his pastor did because yeah. he saw, I'm, I'm not being disciplined. And now he just has walked away from the whole thing and is in uh, overt rejection. Um, but you also have some great parent points here for parenting. Um, 
if you're going to love your children, you're going to discipline, and it's not pleasant. In fact, he uses a very strong word there. He uses, I scourge. Mm. Uh, that's not, yeah. you know, a little... Howie. Yeah, or a little squeeze or a pinch or something, um, because he's interested in making us holy. Yep. So, This is always our go-to, at least it's my go-to, and after a discipline is administered and there's just the tears and the crying and everything, I'm like, yeah, you see these tears, you see this crying, all discipline for the moment yep. is sorrowful. But if, if you'll allow yourself to be trained by it, it's going to produce something. Right. And it does that in, in our lives. So we have to, again, we have to ask yourself if we're getting discipline, uh, if we're suffering, is it possible? Yeah. Is it possible that they may be undergoing a discipline? It, not necessarily. I mean, we've already given four other reasons why we're going to give more, but it's a possibility that part of this is God's hand is heavy on you. Yeah. Um, a six, want, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a sixth one. Uh, suffering brings you to Christian maturity. Uh, this one, we get James 1, 2 through 4, uh, where he writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, and so he's saying, consider it all joy. Now, we're not rejoicing in the trial. Uh, trials are, are painful. Um, but we do rejoice in, in the purpose of the trial, and that's the point. Um, and the purpose of the trial, according to James, is to form in us a kind of Christ-likeness. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to become mature absent hardship. That's it's, So Kim, my wife, always cringes when I preach on a passage like this because she knows what's coming mm. into our life. She's yeah. like, would you stop talking about trials? Because <sighs> invariably, God, that will bring more trials just to test us. Do we believe what we More just, preaching, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it is true, though. Um, my greatest, my personal greatest growth as a Christian has always been in the midst of suffering yes. and hardship. So um, a, another passage that goes hand in hand with this is uh, the seventh reason. Um, suffering can reveal and will reveal true faith. Um, this is in First Peter 1, 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, he's just kind of piling on yeah. these mm-hmm. statements, or even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, <laughs> so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, in this, you greatly rejoice. In the prior verses, he, he's talking about how we have an eternal, eternal inheritance right. that will not fade away, kept for us safe. And then right after that, he says that we ourselves are kept utterly safe in, in Jesus Christ, in his power. And he says, that's what you're rejoicing in. You're not rejoicing that God gave you the new job, uh, unbelievable health or anything else. He's, you, he says, you're rejoicing in the this inheritance and the fact that you are kept safe in Christ. Um, but then he says, in the midst of all of that, you'll be tested. And what, what he's talking about there is the idea that we have this faith that we think we have. And then we enter into the crucible of suffering and it burns away all of the fake part of that faith, mm-hmm. the dross, if you will. And what remains is the true or proven faith. And that's what many people who think they're very mature and very wise and very great, um, they enter into the time of suffering. They find out what they really are 
yeah. what and what God has really placed within them. And so a question, again, we could ask our listeners is, in the midst of your suffering, how is your faith being purified? Mm. Or another way of saying that is, how are you seeing aspects of your faith that you thought was were true, but actually are just dross? It's You yeah. also realize... I'm not what I thought I was. That's yeah. that's actually good because it humbles you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and those are especially good for the newer Christians or baby believers, oh, especially yes. the kinds that, that have this surge in knowledge. Um, yeah. They grow a lot immediately in, in their understanding of, of the faith and theology. And so they start to pat themselves a little bit because, yeah. man, I'm growing uh, by leaps and bounds here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the trial hits and it has this way of just shrinking them back down. But then what comes out on the other side is this, this wonderful, mature faith. Man, that was a big mom. Massive. Okay. <laughs> At least um, she didn't scream. Yeah. Uh, number eight, uh, suffering reveals the false Christian. Uh, for this one, we can go to um, the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, also Mark chapter four. Um, and so I won't go through all of those there, but there's the shallow soil or also referred to as the rocky places, um, which is a reference to the heart that's not actually been changed. Um, and the reason for that is because Jesus there qualifies it as saying he has no root in himself. Right. Um, and so therefore when, when the trial or, or suffering comes, it dies. Um, right. And so suffering has this incredible way of approving those who are truly and genuinely saved and those who are frauds. And I would just say to anyone listening to this, think about some of the people you know who are just gone. They just disappeared from the Christian faith um, almost always it's one of two things. It's one of the two soils. It's either the worries of this word world and the pursuit yeah. of riches or it's, yep. it's trials. Yep. Those are two things that just always take a person and five years later, they're nowhere to be found. So uh, now then in, uh, number nine would re- be this, that suffering reveals the true Christian. So that's the opposite right. of what Matthew 13 is saying. Uh, here we can use Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 3 through 5. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting. Why? Because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith. How? In the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. And then he says this, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you Mm. are suffering. So again, this is not just vague suffering. You're suffering for the kingdom of God and you are bearing up under, and instead of it making these people bitter, it's actually causing them to love each other and their faith is being enlarged. So it's just an incredibly great passage. Mm. And so... One thing you can say is that we should never, we should learn to never be impressed with anyone uh, with regard to their faith until we see them truly suffer because it's where the real person starts to show. And so Paul is rejoicing and filled with thanksgiving because he hears of their endurance. Um, And that's got to be something, you know, when you, when you go and like he was planting a church, pouring his heart and soul into these people. And then he goes away to go continue yeah. his ministry. And he hears that now suffering and hardship and afflictions coming down on these people. And you're like, will they remain? Naturally, will yeah. they remain? You know, I'm not there to help them. I, and back then, he can't even give them a call. No. Right? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and when he finally receives word, it's like, no, no, they're not, they're not just 
enduring, they're, they're growing, they're flourishing, and, and then he just gets to brag about them. Well, wouldn't that be neat to be able to be one of the people Paul's bragging about you because it of what he It would be a sees. little bit of a relief from Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Since you're still enduring it, yeah. All right, so one more. Yeah, uh, the final one is a Christian shares in Christ, Christ's sufferings. Um, you want to read that one, the Philippians passage? Sure. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Yeah, so that's that's Paul talking. And then in Colossians 1.24, he also writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is, speaking of the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Those are fascinating. I immediately thought of that passage when I yeah. saw the title of this. Yeah, um, very interesting phrase. Um, so, so in Philippians as well as here in the Colossians passage, it, the context, he's speaking of the the intimate relationship that Christians have with with Jesus Christ, their Lord. Um, now, now Paul was told in Acts chapter nine and verse sixteen that he was being called by Christ, but for a specific purpose, and that was to suffer for Christ's namesake. And so then in this passage, he takes these ideas of suffering for the sake of Christ and, and having a sharing or a fellowship, if you will, as he says, in Christ's sufferings and then enlarges on that point. Um, and so he says that this is more than merely suffering or sharing in suffering, but that he is also in some way filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Yeah, so what's meant by that? Um, well, first it would be wrong to assume or assert that Paul is in some way filling up what was lacking in the atonement. Right. right. Um, in other words, that, that somehow Christ's work of covering our sins with his, his blood was inadequate. Um, but there's no mention here of the atonement at all, um, but rather sim- simply, not simply, but simply of afflictions right, right. Um, or of the sufferings. That's what he's talking about. Uh, it has nothing to do with atonement and covering for sin. Um, and so the idea then of, of what the phrase means lies in, in the middle of the verse where it's written, and he says, and in my flesh, I do share on behalf of his body, which is, of course, speaking of the church. Um, and so what we have here is, is that, that intimate union between Christ, the head of the church, and then his body, which mm-hmm. is, is the church itself and those who make up that body or the church. Um, in other words, um, though the work of the atonement for our sin is finished by the cross work of Christ alone, the suffering that's attached to that atoning work is in some way, according to Paul, not finished. Yeah, that's and that's huge. Yeah. Um, so, so Christ has perfectly atoned for sin, and we know that. Um, but there is an amount of suffering that's been ordained by God for his body or the church yeah. that they must endure, yeah. um, which is, again, tapping into some of those passages that um, you will enter the gate, how by, through, through oh, suffering right, and tribulation. Yeah. Um, but it's suffering in which, which Christ participates with us yep. um, just as our own head, if we're talking about our body, using the body metaphor, suffers when the rest of our body suffers. So, so to sum up everything, we would agree suffering is hard because it's suffering. And, and we don't want to treat it lightly or coldly, uh, but we also need to see that suffering is in part simply a fact of life as a human in a world under the dominion of sin. Yeah. Every human is going to suffer. Everybody. 
But suffering is also something uniquely given by God to his children Mm -hmm. by which we're purified, we're matured, we're affirmed, and we're humbled. Um, and, And probably most importantly, it's the way God has ordained that his strength is seen in and through us. And so if anyone that's just listening to this is just enduring right now a season of great suffering, I I hope that this somehow helps them a little bit, strengthens them to just press on, um, be content, uh, and seek to honor God in the midst of, of those hardships. 